knives, machetes, saws, and shears, multi-tools, shovels, swords, axes, spears, hatchets, and tomahawks. If it cuts, snips, slices, or chops, Midway USA has it. Find great gift ideas in our huge selection of pocket knives and other everyday carry folding knives. Make a statement or create a family legacy with one of our top-of-the-line hunting knives. We've got a great selection of manual and electric sharpeners, too. For just about everything for the outdoors, check out MidwayUSA.com. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit Tacovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots as well as free returns and exchanges and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. You're listening to the Chasing and Tails Outdoor Podcast, where when you can't be in the outdoors, we bring it to you. Welcome back to another episode of the Chasing Tales Outdoor Podcast, where each and every week we bring you content with one goal in mind, and that is to inspire you to get outside and enjoy the great outdoors. My name is Walt, and typically I'd be introducing my co-host, but boy, let me tell you, between my little son, who's teething right now through chase, working, and getting ready, and actually hunting, because Zone C is open, uh, the rain, everything, schedules have not aligned, and... Uh, I know that Chase is eager to get back with you guys, and he'll be back shortly, if not next week. I know <laughs> I know, I said that he'd be back this week, but unfortunately, he will not be on this episode, but that's okay, because I have a dear friend of mine, Parker McDonald, and we're talking about some really fun stuff here, and we'll get to that in a minute. But before we get to that, we got to thank the people who make this show possible. And first and foremost, that starts with our Patreon subscribers. If you don't know what Patreon is, it's a way for us to crowdsource money that gets reinvested into the show and uh, we, we don't take a, like a dollar out of this podcast guys all that money goes into equipment travel costs hosting fees new websites all kinds of stuff that make the just to do more because chase and i are always going to do this we, we love you know connecting with you guys bringing you content inspiring you guys to get outside and uh, we're always going to do it and this money just really helps us do more uh, and, and what we do is a couple things. We got two tiers. We got the five and the ten dollar tier. Uh, each come with their own benefits, but we're basically creating this digital deer camp, which is this online community of like-minded people. It's a heavily curated group of people where everyone's positive. We have all these awesome different skill sets, from bow technicians to, you know, dog trackers and master big buck killers, and and, and guys from all over the country who are contributing to make a really awesome little digital deer camp over there. And if you're if you're interested in supporting the show and also being a part of that digital deer camp, check us out at Patreon. Uh, one of the ways that we say thanks is we give you a shout out on the podcast. So, uh, Glenn Shuford, uh, you are our most recent shout out. Thank you, sir, for joining us. Another Florida boy. Uh, the Florida boys really have been 
popping off here lately. It's been unreal, the amount of support that they've provided. So thank you uh, from the bottom of our hearts. We're going to have hats going out to folks, stickers go out to folks, um, and uh, very soon, in fact, the next episode that you hear, we will probably be announcing, uh, at least the next episode that Chase and I are on together, we will be announcing the winner of the Q3 giveaway, which is a Vortex Rangefinder. We do four of these a a year, and uh, it's just one of the other ways that we say thanks. And so uh, we hope to see you over there. We hope that you'll support the show. And if you're also looking for another way to support the show, check out our new website, Chasing Tales, T-A-L-E-S, Outdoors.com. We have a new shop with a new T-shirt. It's a really cool design that my wife and Greg Godfrey helped me put into uh you know, materialize. And what we did is we took a national park sign and we slapped the CT sticker on there and, and Florida Hunter. We've got a real cool color. I mean, this thing is really awesome. It says Florida Hunter, be legendary, hunt Florida. And uh, I'm really excited about that. So that's up there on the website. And what we're going to do is a couple promotions. You'll see it on social media. So follow us on social media. But we got a couple giveaways for this going. We've got some stickers on the way that say the same thing. It's that same logo. And uh, I'm excited to get these things out to you guys. So um, if you are interested in supporting the show, check it out. Uh, the money raised from that just gets reinvested into this show. Uh, we, we're going to Missouri. We've got a cameraman. Uh, we're, we're going to our Patreon deer camp. And we're going to have cameramen running there and recording all kinds of fun stuff. So it's a great, great way to support the show. And I, and I appreciate everybody who does. Also, we, we partner every year with a couple companies who we believe in. And we have what we consider a guilt-free endorsement. And what that means is we can wholeheartedly support these companies, endorse these companies, and the people behind them. Because we believe in the people and the product. A couple of those companies this week we're going to talk about is Tethered. If you are looking for the best, lightweight, well-thought-out DIY saddle gear, you need to go to TetherNation.com from the Phantom to the Predator, Predator XL, the Tethered One Sticks, and an... And a brand new item that we're going to announce very, very shortly. Stay tuned for that. We've got an episode with Ernie. We're going to kind of break down the doors of what this new item is. People are going to love it. Um, check them out, tetherednation.com. Also, cannot forget the folks over at Spartan Forge. I've talked about Spartan Forge a lot. And they have a new app that's coming out. It's got new mapping features. It's got journaling features. It's got all kinds of cool stuff. And more features are rolling out daily. Uh, if you are already registered right now, you will have access to the new app, which should go any day now. And what Spartan Forge does is it takes millions of data points from GPS collared deer, and it makes trend analysis, makes predictive artificial intelligence geared predictive analysis on where deer will be moving, whether it's a transition area a core area, a bedding area. It gives you the feedback that helps you make the decision on how close and how aggressive you need to be in order to see deer. And Chase and I and numerous other people, including Parker McDonald, um, Andy May, have all found that this app is remarkably accurate in predicting where deer will be moving. And the, the when and now the where function of the map is coming to you. So stay tuned. If you haven't already signed up, you need to sign up right now and use the promo code ChasingTales because you can lock in for life. No lie. This is the predictive and the where. So the when and the where for $20 a year. Okay, if you use the promo code, it'll get you 25% off. So the one-time registration fee goes from 25 to 20 and then it's a recurring cost of $20 per year after that. That is going to be the cheapest 
software for mapping you will ever find. Um, these guys are working hard to create a phenomenal app, and I am thrilled to be a part of that beta testing group. If you are interested in being a beta tester, you need to sign up right now online, lock in that price, and that will guarantee you a spot because once the, the app goes live, they will only be giving 500 new spots. But because you guys support the show, he's going to say thank you as well. Um, Bill's an amazing guy. We're going to have him on the podcast real soon and talk about uh, deer movement. But uh, with that, I need to tell you guys about the podcast. So here's the deal. I don't feel like I did a very good job of explaining in the podcast what I wanted Parker to come on the podcast to talk about. We, we, we break down his North Dakota hunt um, and some things that happened and transpired on that hunt that I feel like are heavily talked about in our Patreon group. And a lot... Basically, two things here. Uh, one, knowing when to be aggressive, when to move, when to find new spots. How do you balance scouting and hunting? Because it's very easy for us to feel like we have to be in the tree to kill something. And, you know, Bo Lace just came on the show. If you haven't heard that episode, you need to go back and listen to it because he's a big journaling guy. He, you know, he uses that to help him make predictive uh, guesses as he moves forward. But one of the things that is very important is in-season scouting. Bo talks about this. Parker talks about this. Dan Enfault talks about this. This is a common theme. And the idea is you aren't giving up a hunt by not being in the stand if you're spending it scouting. Take that time and find the high-opportunity hunt. If you, you know, we t- one, of the, one of the hardest parts about this is trying to articulate to new hunters or even established hunters who are trying to uh, incorporate this into what they do. It's difficult to know when to do that. And that's one of the reasons why I brought Parker on is because he traveled all the way across the globe and he was faced with the decision of do I move or not? Do I scout or not? And he handled it amazingly. The outcome was wonderful, and I wanted to talk about that. The second part to this is keeping the main thing the main thing. One of the things that I admire about Parker, who is perhaps one of the most successful Southern hunters that I have the privilege of talking to. Um, actually, I have the privilege of talking to him on a daily basis. Uh, he, I consider him one of my best friends right there with Chase. He and I talk just as often as Chase and I do. Uh, one of the things that is remarkable about Parker is that he's always been able to stay true to who he is. And what I mean by that is he doesn't get caught up in the potential or caught up in what could be. He's happy to have a story. And the adventure component to this, keeping the main thing the main thing, what I mean by that is it's very important that you fall in love with the process of hunting deer. Because if you're focused solely on the outcome, then a lot of times you're going to be very frustrated in between. And I think it also is a mental block that prevents you from scouting. Okay. So what I mean by that is if your outcome, if you're looking for the deer kill, and if that defines your hunt, then it's very easy to feel like you have to be in the stand. But if you love the process, if you keep the main thing, the main thing, and I'm out here to have an adventure, I'm out here to have fun. I don't, you know, see a deer, kill a deer. It doesn't really matter what it is, uh, per se, then I think what that allows you to do is it gives you permission to get down from that tree stand and go scout a new area. And I think with Parker, you see him drive all the way to North Dakota, the land of giants. He's got a limited time to hunt, and he's willing to punch a tag on a forky on the last day. And he's perfectly happy with it. And he talks about on the podcast how it makes the adventure for him. And so those two things kind of feed each other. And Parker does a way better job of explaining this than I do, clearly, because here I am recording an intro trying to clarify what I said in the podcast. But I hope you enjoy the episode. I hope you uh, check out the new t-shirt. Consider joining Patreon. 
uh, subscribing to the show. Uh, the, the amount of feedback that we got have gotten here recently is remarkable, and deer season is upon us. Ladies and, soon, and gentlemen, we I will be in the deer stand the with most Chase repeat guest with of a camera. All time. In fact, you might be getting tired of talking wait to him, bring you our adventures on YouTube. I, I kind of so, doubt it because the dude is an absolute show animal. With that, and some McDonald's. things have been rattling around in my brain that I wanted to address and talk about. And in order to do that, I needed to have someone else there because no one likes to hear me just ramble on. And so I was I was racking my brain, and I'm like, who could come on the show and talk about this? And it just so happened that Mr. Parker, Parker McDonald, uh, here recently, <laughs> recently he's been called McDaniel, and, and it, threw, it threw me off there for a second. Uh, he, he just embodied the two different to- topics that I want to talk about, literally, firsthand. And so that's what we're going to do. We're going to pick the, the, br- the brain of a North Alabama legend himself and uh, see what he's got to offer. So, sir, uh, is it storming at your place as badly as it is on mine? Yeah, and we don't have as bad of storms, but it's it's been raining pretty much nonstop for the last, like, week it's just like a giant puddle outside right now (laughs) are the lakes rising is it going to make your water access difficult this year you know that's a good point and i actually haven't even thought about it until you said that um it shouldn't i mean with the way our like our season opens here literally like right when the acorns start dropping and so and we even get for whatever reason where we're at the zone that I hunt in the October 1st opener, the acorns don't drop until it seems like a week or so into October is when they really start start going. I know a lot of places are already dropping pretty heavily, but for whatever reason, that's just what I, what I found last year when they started that early opener in my zone. And uh, so pretty much as long as the water doesn't, rise to such a level that it starts like putting some of my spots underwater I shouldn't really have a problem because most of it it's mostly like hills and real steep terrain and when the water comes up I'll tell you what it does affect it does affect turkey hunting during turkey season when that water goes up Mm -hmm. those birds Mm -hmm. like the 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 creek bottoms when they start to fill up if they're running with water it's like the birds just will not cross them for whatever reason um, and so it does mess up turkeys, but for deer, I, I don't think, I'm trying to think of a time when it, when it really has affected it. And it, I can't think of a time when high water has affected deer hunting much. Turkeys are incredibly fickle in that regard, but deer, not so much. In fact, I've got a, a buddy of mine who has a video of a, um, has video of a deer literally like just swimming from island to island, island to island, island to island, just bouncing back and forth, just checking different, Mm -hmm. I I guess checking it for the rut. They just don't care, dude. They've got webbed toes, but turkeys, they are definitely fickle. So I'll tell you one way that it does affect, high water does affect me, is some of the boat ramps, like this past turkey season, we had a bunch of rain and the water was super high, and the whole boat ramp parking lot was underwater. So they closed the ramps down. So that could affect me a little bit if it starts to get, but I still have a week and a half before season opens here. So I should be okay. Um, and that's a good thing. That's the beauty of the kayak is if the water's up, you just park where the water ends at and throw your boat in. And it's pretty easy. Um, guys with a regular, you know, a regular bass boat or John boat or something like that can't do that. So um, in some ways it can be an advantage. 
For sure. I think kind of a similar similar situation with the GNU. I think uh, a lot of the same places that you could access with the kayak, you could do with the GNU. Maybe bring a little more gear or another person or maybe have a little more stability. I'm, for that reason, I'm really like liking my odds this year, if I could ever get that motor running. <laughs> yeah, as much time as you put into that thing, dude, I think it's probably about time you uh, maybe hit the marketplace and try to find out <laughs> it actually works. I, I have got – so I redid the carb, I redid the fuel pump, and it purrs like a kitten. I've got a little bit of a, of a water supply issue, but uh, I had somebody send me a video. The guy actually refurbished these for a living. Uh, the old ones, and then resells them. And he's like, dude, I can tell you right now, stop wasting your time. Pull off the power head. You've got a grommet from the water intake that runs to the power head. That's where your issue is. And um, so I ordered those parts. It's $25, and it's about an hour and a half worth of time. So I'm going to I'm gonna give that a shot. If it doesn't work, I'm actually going to take it to my boss's uh, husband and see if he won't fix it for me. Because the, the fact is, it's a pretty simple system. <laughs> like, so if I can't figure it out, then there's something, there must be a blockage or, you know, something. But uh, it, it flies when it runs, dude, 22 miles the, to, the, uh, to the gallon. 22 miles an hour. Um, it, it zips. <laughs> 22 miles to the gallon on that joker. If, if that thing got 22 miles to the gallon, I'd be pissed. Largely because my exterior gets like 13 on a good day, so... <laughs> if my boat gets better gas mileage than my truck we have problems <laughs> so 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 here's the deal man i have been thinking about a couple a couple big topics um and he, i the, the in our Patreon group, we crowdfund like a lot of ideas and a lot of topics pop up and a lot of times those topics become podcasts and this is one of those examples. And so for me, um, one of the, the, the two kind of most recent things that have popped up and I feel like they're kind of, um, kind of correlated is, um, having the, the right mindset going into a hunt so that you, uh, are, are your expectations are what they should be that you're that that you're going in with the right frame of reference so that when you are pursuing things or pursuing game you don't lose perspective you don't lose focus and the second one is uh, staying real flexible uh, with your mindset and I think in your podcast you touched on a little while ago you you kind of framed out this hunt and the pursuit of it I mean you traveled all the way to North Dakota you killed a buck um, but for many people I think they would they they could all too quickly look at that and be like that was too small a deer to have traveled from Alabama to to Nodak so um kind of when you go into a hunt man like what makes a hunt for Parker McDonald and how do you stay true to that so one thing that I always talk about there's a couple things right here that I could really expound on I think but one thing that I always try to stay pretty consistent in is I'm there to uh, have a good experience. And, you know, when it comes down to it, obviously the buck that I killed in North Dakota was not the kind of buck that, what did you, I think you wrote on the picture, you said, uh, I can't believe Parker went to North Dakota to kill a Florida buck. Um, <laughs> yeah. uh, which, which, I mean, like everybody anybody who would have been in my situation right there in my position, the same thought would have crossed their minds, but I always try to be consistent in I'm chasing a good story and a good experience. And, uh, the size of the deer has a little bit to do with it, but it's not everything. So I went into this trip 
with the expectation of I'm going to let let you know caliber buck that I could kill in Alabama. I'm going to let that deer walk in North Dakota because I'm in freaking North Dakota. And um, just to kind of give people, if they haven't listened to my episode of it, uh, um, retelling the story, we were hunting a private farm, like 12,000 acre farm. Um, and we were hunting preset spots. We went up in August and preset trees, got bait piles going, put up cameras. Uh, anybody who knows me or follows any of the Southern ground stuff know that that's not really my thing. That's not really my, what I do uh, a whole lot of most of the stuff I do is on public land and I don't hunt a lot of corn piles, but what you might not know is that was what I grew up doing in Texas. And so it wasn't like a foreign thing to me, but I've kind of, as the years have gone by and I've lived in different areas, just kind of grown out of the whole, you know, hunting over corn thing. Um, don't have any issue with it. It's just not really, I, I, honestly, I just don't have a lot of opportunity to because I'm mostly hunting public land. But this property was huge and it has huge deer on it. So my expectation, what I've been thinking about ever since I got invited to go on this trip was, man, I'm going to kill, I might kill the biggest buck of my life on this trip. And there's every <laughs> opportunity for it. Right. And like, Anybody who goes into that and you see the the type deer that come off of that property, and when we started putting cameras on, the very first buck that we ever got on camera out there, we didn't even have a bait pile going yet, and it was the first night. We had literally left that uh, camera like an hour before, and this like 150-inch nine-point just shows up. And so like that was the first deer picture we got, and we're like, holy cow, you know, this is going to be awesome. So going into this hunt, I'm thinking – you know, I have every opportunity, but the problem was, is that we had cell cameras on every single spot and none of the bucks were coming out in daylight. Just, it was very rare. There was that, that one nine point came in consistently and he has since been killed. Um, but it was just kind of one of those things where you go in with the expectation, but you have to remain consistent in who you are and what you do. Um, and what you're in search of. So spoiler alert, I killed a four point and was jacked up about it because the storyline was so good. Oh, hold on. Uh, you're, you're underselling the quality of this deer. It's in a velvet four point, sir. Yeah. A, vel- a full velvet, <laughs> a full velvet four point, uh, or as the northerners might call it a forky, um, <laughs> a full velvet, velvet four point. But here's the deal, man. There was how many of us? And it was a public land deer, by the way. Um, I ended up making changes, which we'll get into that later, I'm sure. Making some changes, and I I hunted public land for the last, like, two days. And um, so I didn't end up even killing it on that property. But uh, I'm the only person who killed a deer on that trip. Like, Really? Out of all the the dudes that were there? Out of everybody that was there. I was the only person, and I was one of the very few people who even had a antler deer in bow range. So most pe- most of us, we were just seeing does the whole trip. Does were coming in. Now, people may know Jared Schaefer. He's a part of the tethered crew. He yep. uh, he happened to, ca- I mean, he really kind of lucked into a spot. And, and don't get me wrong, Jared's one of the best whitetail hunters I know. Uh, Jared is a very good whitetail hunter, um, but he really kind of lucked into a spot where 
he could see a long ways. And the first night he had like maybe some does come to corn pile, but he could see so far and he saw um, several bucks using an area like 400 yards off and um, was able to make some adjustments and hunt from the ground. He had a camera guy, so he was able to hunt from the ground and get in there and, um, you know, I think he had one buck come into bow range, but he saw that guy, Jared and Caden, who was his cameraman, they saw more bucks than probably everybody else combined, um, including some absolute hammers. But the, the point of that was they were adapting to the situation and they were getting on the ground hunting. They were sitting in standing corn um, and just hunting from the ground. And so, it, it just proves it drives home the point. There's bucks there, but it was just you had to adapt if you wanted to try to kill them. But one of the main issues was the landowner that that owned the property that we were that tethered leased basically for the season. Um, there was there was certain things that he didn't want us to do, and one of those things was kind of being super mobile, if that makes sense. Like he never. He never really said like, no, you can't do that. There was one area that he would not let us go into, but, uh, whenever you would talk about like, you know, I could just go hang and hunt and it was just kind of like a foreign concept to him, I guess. Uh, because the way that he's always hunted his property is over corn piles. And that, that is a, for most, for a lot of people who are used to that, that's what they do. And that's what works. And even when it doesn't work, having a corn pile there ups their confidence. It makes them feel like they have a better chance of killing a, killing a deer. Um, for people who have hunted public land and who have been in the mobile hunting game for a long time, if anything, corn pile makes me like less confident. <laughs> I'm going to see a buck. Dude, I'm with um, you on that. You know, just sitting and waiting doesn't really, to me, as much as people think that that is deer hunting, it's not like, a lot of times you have to go and put yourself in the game. And uh, the people who did that, it seemed like the ones who did that were the ones who had opportunities. And, uh, man, it was it was a great trip. We had a, all the guys that were in camp are some of my closest friends. Really that good dude. That whole crew is amazing. Yeah, the whole crew is super fun to hang out with. Um, and it was a challenge for me to give up having the – like to leave camp to go and I ended up renting a car, renting a car and going and hunting public land for the last two days. That was hard to do because the camp was so much fun. Um, but I'm there to kill deer. Right. So I get into a zone and when I'm in that zone, I want to, I want to, I'm like, I'm, I'm there. And part of it for me is part of the reason I like to punch tags rather than go home empty handed and I really don't have like, I, I, there's, I have zero issue with people who do that is because my family, like my wife, when I don't kill a deer, she suffers because I come home and I sulk and I think about all the things I could have done better. And what if I would have done this? And until I kill a deer, I'm going to be just a uh-huh. freaking little negative Nancy about everything. And I know that about me. And so, Whenever it comes down to it, if I can prevent that from happening, I'm going to. Mm-hmm. I, I I could see that. I think also for you, 
if we're being honest about the situation for you, there's a degree of the adventure makes the hunt. Yeah. Right? Like sure. I, by no means am I saying you aren't a big deer killer, but like you definitely like you have the right frame of mind. You've gone to places like Florida, you know, and, and you've hunted in areas where you're not going to kill a 115 inch deer most likely. And you're willing to take those adventures on because it's not about, you know, the, 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 the end result isn't tied necessarily to a big deer, which there's nothing wrong with that. I'm not, you know, obviously I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that, but I just thought it was really cool to, cause you and I talk literally every day. And it was cool to watch the evolution of, okay, I'm not seeing anything. I need to move instead of just sitting on a corn pile, which is very easy and tempting to do because I did that for the first 10 years of my hunting uh, career. It's very tempting to have the comfort of, I know there's a reason for a deer to be here. So you just sit there indefinitely. You were very flexible. Um, which kind of leads me to, I think the second point that I want to talk about, and perhaps this is the primary point. Um, one of the things we talk about all the time, we have a lot of new uh, deer hunters over in the Patreon group, a lot of new deer hunters. Um, we also have a lot of hunters who are trying to take their game to that next level, and they hear people, they hear, let's say, the Parker McDonald come on, and he's like, and I just saw the sign, and I knew it wasn't right. Or, I hunted the area, and my gut told me I needed to leave. And one of the things I saw with you and I, for years, and, and honestly, I've learned a lot from our friendship when it comes to deer hunting, is the ability to, to, to sell out to being flexible. And that sounds kind of weird, but like you bounce around a lot. And a lot of times you don't run cameras in areas. You just, you let the sign and the terrain tell you where you're, you want to be and you listen to that gut. So one of the things I kind of want to hone in on is how do you go about deciding where you want to be? when plan a doesn't work out like what what is it that tells you plan a isn't right and then how do you maintain being flexible yeah so i spent a lot of a lot of time trying to figure that out for myself like when when do i leave when do i jump ship when do i abandon this area and uh or or abandon this idea uh I tell you one thing that taught me a lot about this is hunting in Kentucky. And uh, I spent four years hunting the, I guess you would call it like just your typical Midwestern ag type, flat terrain, farmland, river bottoms, stuff like that. The the stuff, if anybody has watched any of my videos from the past, really the early season Kentucky hunting that I've done for the past probably four or five years. And uh, it taught me a whole lot about what I'm good at and what I suck at, honestly. Um, Now, I have had plenty of, I say plenty, I've had several opportunities at big bucks, uh, potentially best bucks of my life in on that early season Kentucky hunt. But I've never made it count and I've never... You know, anytime I've ever had those type of encounters with good bucks, it's always seemed to be in the areas that were just a little more similar to what I hunt at home. Um, so the number one thing that I'm always going to try to do from really from this point on, unless I'm just trying to learn something new, right, which I'm always trying to learn something new that maybe comes across wrong. But unless I'm just really set on I want to learn how to hunt farmland. Uh I'm going to try to hunt places that are more similar to what I hunt back home. And 
Um, so, you know, when it, I, I had a guy, I had a guest named Jeremy Aaron come on my podcast from the Do It Yourself Hunter, and he talked about this um, pretty much in depth. If anybody's ever watched the Do It Yourself Hunter on YouTube, it's there two guys, one guy who's uh, a little bit older and one guy who's younger. His name's Daniel. It's Daniel and Jeremy. And they are so freaking consistent with killing deer um, and not really small deer. Like they kill good deer. Um, they're some of the most consistent people I've ever seen. They hunt. They're from Mississippi, but they go everywhere they go. It seems like they are on bucks pretty quickly. One of the things Jeremy told me when I asked him this question, like, what are you doing? How are you so consistent? He said, you know, I've just found what I do well and I find that wherever I'm at. So when he's in Iowa, what he does is he hunts like river bottom type stuff in, in Mississippi, like Delta type stuff. And when he goes to Iowa, he's going to find something that has a similar layout. When he goes to Kansas, he's going to find something with a similar layout. Indiana, similar. Ohio, anywhere he goes, he's going to find something that lays out similar to what he does at home. And so I have spent five years hunting this farmland, public land stuff in Kentucky with little success. And then last year, I went and hunted a place that's big woods, steep terrain, no ag. It's all just big woods and, and terrain features. And in three days, I killed a buck. I killed a good buck. And I don't think that there was, I don't think that was a coincidence that I was able to do that, um, that quickly, because that's what I know. That's what I hunt here in North Alabama. We're in the foothills of the Appalachian Mountains, and that's how I know how to hunt. And so I think for anybody who's new, you know, find that one thing that you are used to or that can be consistent, and you can find something similar wherever you're at. So North Dakota, I did the exact same thing. Uh, we were hunting farmland. I couldn't figure it out. You know, I'm not familiar with all that flat farmland type stuff. I moved to public land that had really steep draws, terrain, big woods type area, and had an encounter with a slammer buck who was, was actually the buck that I was hunting when I killed the small buck. It was the last day, um, so I was going to be content with whatever, but I was hunting a bigger deer. And um, so that was one thing. Another thing that really... Uh, that I've learned in the more recent years is it's okay and more valuable to give up hunting like tree time for scouting time, especially when you're in a new place. Go back to that, to that uh, Kentucky hunt last year. Um, I literally spent the first two and a half days while everybody else in camp was up in a tree and people were killing deer People are seeing bucks and I was getting text messages. I got an eight point underneath me. I don't know if I'm going to shoot him and I'm sitting there walking through the woods. It's really easy when you're on a limited time. Uh, most of us have jobs. We have families. We can't stay there until we kill a deer. We have a, a limited amount of time that we can be there. But I'm telling you the most valuable thing you will ever do in the woods is in my opinion, mark spots off. You make take your map and you just start marking spots off of that map. And when you feel like you have a pretty good hold on areas that are going to be good, then you go in and you start hunting. But if you don't do that, you're all you're going to see is just this big, huge area. And you're not going to even know where to start. You have got, I mean, even simple things. If you're hunting an, an area that has crops, 
um, if you go in the first day and you don't even know what's planted in that field and you go in there and you thought it was going to be soybeans and it's actually, uh, I don't know, sunflowers. You thought it was going to be soybeans. You get there three o'clock in the morning, you're walking through, it's freaking sunflowers. Well, then what the heck do you do? You have to make adjustments right then and there when it's dark and you're about to go into a hunt. When you could have just spent a couple of days marking that stuff off and knowing that's not going to be worth your time or putting boots on the ground and finding the right sign to be able to set up. Um, just any time that I've ever done that, it's always paid off. Like always paid off. Um, and I would go even further to say that since I started doing that on my out-of-state hunts, I've punched a tag probably 90% of the time that I, 90% of the trips that I have done that, right? Like, so to me, that's all the proof that I need. And it's, and it, even with that proof, even with that success rate of doing that on out-of-state hunts or in hunts with new areas, even with that, it's still hard for me to do it sometimes because I just want to get in a tree. And there's always a chance if you get in a tree, there's always a chance that you're going to kill on the first day, but there's a greater chance that you're not going to, right? Um, there's a greater chance that you're going to, and, and it not be anything that you like. Um, now I will say at home, I'm not afraid to go in blind in Alabama, in my home area to a new area, to a new spot. Because if I go and hunt a spot in Alabama or, or on the public land that I hunt, you know, most of the season, I know what I'm looking for. I know what common denominators I'm looking for that a map is going to show me and terrain features and vegetation features where I can say there's, there's going to be a very good chance that there's deer in that spot. And so, you know, I do things a little bit different at home, but on out of state trips, man, crap, there's nothing more valuable than spending time scouting this North Dakota trip. When I went and hunted this, I rented this car, uh, went to the public land area, which was about two hours from where we were hunting at originally. I was by myself and I literally had two days, uh, a day and a half really to hunt it. So the first day I went into this big, huge area and it was all Oaks and I scouted until I found a spot that I wanted to set up for the last like hour of daylight. The next day I got up at five o'clock and I just drove around. I only had literally that evening left to hunt, but to me it was more valuable to go and drive around and make the most of that evening hunt rather than just taking a chance on the morning and the evening hunt in a spot that I didn't even know anything about. So, so, okay, but so one of the things that people I hear all the time, literally, the, the, these two different things. One, you can't kill them if you're not in the tree. And then the, the follow-up is um, I'm a weekend warrior or I've got a really short period of time to make something happen. Do either of those land as valid reasons not to become more more accustomed to to the land that you're hunting? Because a, a lot of these guys, especially in Florida, think about the Florida hunter. You have a quota hunt. It might, if you're lucky, last a week. Most times it's three to four days, and then you're waiting for the next draw. Do you feel like even in those circumstances they should be trying to scout and get familiar with those areas? Yeah, absolutely, because the scouting is the killing. That's where you kill the deer is in the scouting. The only thing you have to – once you've scouted, the only thing you have to do 
is have a little bit of luck and make a good shot. Um, you're, I, I believe that your your scouting and your your knowledge, gaining knowledge of an area is where the deer dies, where the where the deer where you get your opportunity. Maybe that's the right word to say. That's where you. That's where all your opportunity comes from is gaining as much intel about an area as you possibly can. After that, it's just making a shot and getting a little bit lucky and making you know if that deer comes through that day. Um, but there is nothing worse than if you've got three days to hunt and you spend all three days going in blind to an area. I mean, you didn't do any good. You just wasted time unless you got really lucky. Now, I will say that I think it can, scouting is, is, is so important, but you can scout hunt, which is the way I do even after i've done a lot of scouting um you can scout and hunt where you like a hanging hunt type thing where you go in make sure the wind's in your favor uh and you scout your way until you find a good spot to set up i still think the odds are a little bit uh low in that situation because all you a lot of times what you've done is you just put your scent all around the whole area um, but it can still work. At least you're setting up, you're giving yourself the chance to set up an area that has good deer sign. But if you go in in the dark, even in a he- with a headlamp in the dark, it's hard to see tracks in mud with a headlamp in the dark. Like they don't stick out as good as they do in the daylight. You want to get some daylight scouting in. Um, and if nothing else, drive roads and scout pressure and figure out the areas where, you know, it makes the most sense for you to spend your time. Um, Cause if you go in at four o'clock in the morning and think you found a good spot, you may have found a spot that seems good, but there could have been there. There may be five other trucks that pull in after you that have been hunting it all week. Um, so you really, I mean, driving roads and th- that is so boots on the ground is valuable. Driving roads is just as valuable in a lot of ways. What, how do you how do you explain when to move? So let's say you have a you have a um, you you've done the scouting, you've identified a few key areas. How does Parker McDonald go about making the decision? It's still time to move and keep going. It's kind of a, a subjective thing. I get it, but like, what does that look like for you? Because I have been in areas that I thought were absolutely money due to to due to scouting. And my internal clock is just like, yep, nope, time to go. This, like, not working. Yeah, I mean, if you throw if you throw a sit at it and you don't see any deer, to me, like, and this may be incorrect for a lot of people's standards, but for mine, if I throw a sit at an area and I don't see any deer at all, then I'm not going to go back there, more than likely, on that trip. I'm trying, I'm, I'm going to go and try it out. And if I don't get that opportunity, and a lot of times, even if I do see a deer, I'm not going to go back unless I see a buck that I'm, you know, trying to shoot, in which case I may adjust. Um, I'm, what I'm probably going to do is adjust to get in a better position to, to kill him um, or to figure out where he's going to or, or coming from. So 
I mean, it, on my out-of-state trips, if I don't see a deer on a sit or if all I see is does on a sit, um, you know, I'm probably going to move. I'm I'm looking for, you know, the you know the the phrase uh, first sit best sit. You know, I, I there's been very few times where I've been successful on an out-of-state hunt or in a hunt with a new in a new area, even um, that. And I, every buck I've killed on out-of-state hunts has been my first time sitting in that spot. Like, that's just the way. That's just to me. That's just the, like playing statistics games. You know, I mean. How, about how, much is, how much of that, though, is because you go so randomly to a lot of places? Do you feel like that that kind of skews that a little bit for you, given that you're constantly willing to bounce around? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, uh, you've got guys like Bobby Worthington who talks about sitting in the same tree for the whole rut, for the whole time that he's there, because at some point that buck's going to come through there and you want to be there when he does. Um, and, and I agree with that, too. I don't think that's I don't think that's a wrong move either i don't think there's a right move or a wrong move i just know that if i sit in the same spot for five days in a row and i don't see a buck i feel like absolute crap like there's something i could have done about it because there is i mean honestly to for me in my personal experience there is something i could have done about it i could have got up and found somewhere else um you know, I, and that's just, that's just, if, if I go out swinging, then I'm more than okay with that. But if I go out just being content, then I'll beat myself up. And I know I will. So I don't, <laughs> so I don't just get content. I stay hungry and I stay after it. And part of the reason why, you know, by the end of deer season, I'm so worn down is because it stays like, that's my constant mindset. A lot of people deer hunt because it's relaxing for their mind. Um, I do not. I deer hunt because I'm on a mission, right? Like it's a it's a mission for me, and it wears me out. And it that I get so much more out of the hunt by being on that mission. Like that's my it's like a that's my dope, right? That's my dopamine. That's my that's that's my drug addiction. That's why it's a drug for me. If, and, and for some guys, it's sitting in a blind, uh, looking over a food plot, and it's relaxing. And I get that. It is relaxing. And they're okay if they don't see a deer. And they're okay if, you know, they don't kill a deer all season. They just got to be out there with their thoughts and relax. That's just freaking, that's not me. I can't do that. I'm not anymore. I used to be able to, and I can't anymore because I'm on a mission. And if you always, if you always think about being on a mission when you're out there, it's like, I have got to do this um guy on my podcast one time said they imagine a man in a mask chasing him and he's going to kill him and his t- entire family if he doesn't see a deer on that trip like that's that's motivation you know it's motivation for you um and it doesn't have to be that you can do anything but for me it's like i've got to make things happen and most of the time when say when you s- tell yourself that you've got to make you've got to make a play then that's going to be on you. The ball's in your court. Go find it. And so that's why it's easy for me to move, move around. Yeah, I, I think I think one of the things I would say about you, Parker, um, is you have a very Gary V um, mindset for hunting. Um, and what I mean by that is, for anybody who doesn't know, you need to look up Gary V. He's an awesome, awesome. Uh, I guess you'd call him an educator, social media or branding educator. Yeah. 
motivational speaker to entrepreneurs. Yeah, 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 especially when they're, you know, utilizing new technology to create awareness. And one of the things that I love about Gary Vee, um, who first said it, but I've heard it from a variety of people, is to be good at something, to be successful at something, you have to love the process. And I heard Gary Vee talk one time, he's like, you could take everything I've got from me, and I'd actually be more excited about tomorrow, because then I can start all over, and I get to go through all those steps that you guys are going through right now. And with you, Parker, I think... If the process, if the adventure itself wasn't exciting to you and wasn't challenging, I think you would lose interest in it. And I think that actually speaks to your ability to have the right perspective because you have to love the process. If, if hunting is all about an end, an end game for you, then it's going to be frustrating and it's going to be maddening and you're going to be disappointed more often than it's not. And this sounds a whole lot like... Uh, an excuse for someone who can't kill anything, but it's not true. It truly is, a, in my opinion, if you love that process, if you love the adventure, then the outcome's already a success from the, from the jump. And you're probably going to hunt more, and you're probably going to make better decisions, and you're not going to be as stressed. And you've always managed to keep that uh, in the right mindset, man. And and it's, it's it's been awesome to watch over the years. Well, you know, to me, there's, there's no excuse. Like, I try to... I tried like I'm glad that you I'm glad that you say that because that that makes me feel like I'm um accurately like accurately showing my my mindset through a YouTube channel or a podcast because I I have a hard time Walter you and I have talked about this and likely most of the people listening to this are in the southeast um in Florida or somewhere in the south I have a hard time with people who make excuses for, well, you know, I just live in the South. Like, you know, you know, I'm like, there's not a lot of things that get under my skin, like people making excuses and, and validating that mindset of, well, I live in the South, so it's just, it's just harder here. Okay. Well, you live here though. So if you live here, God gave you the ultimate advantage to be able to, by, by making this your home to figure this crap out. And people who just sit around and mope around and make excuses, it just gets on my nerves. And I, just, I disagree with it because I think I think that the only person who can do something about it, who can make it better, is you. There are people in the South who are very consistent at killing big, mature deer, even on public land. On private land, for sure, but even on public land. There's consistent killers in, in, these, in, in this part of the United States. And I talk to a lot of them on podcasts. It's the same as you. And very few of them make that excuse. Well, you know, it's just the South and it's just harder in the South. Yeah, okay, but figure it out. If you're going to do it, if you're going to commit to being a deer hunter out here, especially a public land deer hunter, then figure it out. Otherwise, you're just going to have a dang miserable time. And I think you hear people often talk about well, if you can kill a deer in Mississippi, you can kill a deer anywhere in the United States. Yeah, that's that's true. But you have to take that same mindset to Iowa when you get drawn for that tag, you know, of no excuses. I'm not going to sit back and I'm not going to coast. I'm going to I'm going to work as hard as I do in the south. And that's how I'm going to kill a deer in one of these Midwestern, you know, big buck states. And I think the people who do that find themselves a whole lot more satisfied. Um, I, I don't know about you, Walt, but there's not a worse feeling of like dissatisfaction, I guess, or unsatisfaction 
than knowing that you could have done more in whatever it is. Like it could be uh, your family or your job, or have you ever cooked something, cooked a meal? You're like, crap, if I would have just done this one thing, it would have made this meal a whole lot better. Like, and you're left unsatisfied. You're left wanting. But when you do, when you work your hardest, when you truly put forth a, a big, a large amount of effort, um, even if you fail, it's st- it's still, you know, you did your best, right? Like, even if you fail, even if you come home empty handed, whatever, at least you put forth your greatest effort and you go back to the drawing board like you talked about with Gary Vee. If, if I fail, that's just a better excuse for me to try harder. I'm trying to teach that to my daughter right now. Actually, it's kind of funny that we're talking about it because she hates it when she loses to her little brother with anything. And I'm like, what do you do when you fail? What do you do when you lose? You try harder next time. And I, I mean, I, that's not just deer hunt, man. That's just freaking life. That's just life in general. Work harder and hard work almost always pays off. Yeah. In the end. Don't don't compromise, right? I mean, like that's 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 really what it's all about. I mean, and, and I don't mean that as in don't shoot a doe if that's what your goal is. I don't really care. But I, I feel like a lot of times, dude, I'm telling you right now, I've got a newborn. It has rained. I just told you, like, I think we've gotten eight and a half inches in the last six to seven days. And there has been every excuse not to be out there. Um, this summer, I had every excuse not to be out there. And, you know, the other day I had a couple hours to go hunting and I had decided that when I got out there, I was going to scout. And if I found really hot sign, I was going to set up. And if I didn't, then I was just going to keep scouting, um, tying these two thoughts together. Right. Um, and I didn't find super hot sign. And, uh, about the time super hot sign, or I started really finding stuff that I really wanted to hunt. The thunderstorms rolled in and, uh, I literally cut it like right up to when those thunderstorms got there, the, the lightning was getting struck in the trees and I'm not advising people to do that, but you know, I only had so much time and I was going to, make the most of it in that opportunity and the and the con and the result of that is i now have identified primary feed trees with clear deer sign underneath that haven't started dropping their crops and in the coming weeks i can go back to that area when the weather's great and i've got time to hunt and i can confidently make a setup there but i eliminated 20 acres 30 acres on my way in full of uh, chicken oaks that just weren't holding. But I found some right at the last minute. And now the next available, available opportunity I go, I've got the ability to go in there and strike on something that has hot sign that I've confirmed has deer, that the situation hasn't changed from year to year and that the food's there. That's huge. That's a bird in the hand. And it's, and it's discipline. I mean, you could have just as easily said, eh, just going to go home, but no, you had the time. You had the ability. Your wife said it was okay. All that stuff worked out. You might as well go take advantage of it. And I mean, it's 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 so much discipline. And like it's in, like you said, it's enjoying the process of of figuring something. Yeah, yeah, it would have been great for you to be able to go up in a tree, punch a tag, kill a deer, whatever. But I mean, that's that's putting so much on chance. Um, I do not like to be a deer hunter that's banking on chance. It, obviously, there's a there's a little bit of chance every time, but I want it to be. Like, I hate it, man. I freaking hate it when I go into an area and I kill a deer and it just is chance. Like, and to me, I don't feel like I got anything out of it. 
I love it when I go into an area and the deer does what I thought it would do based on what I know about the area. Um, like that is, that is so much fun. But when a deer comes out of nowhere and you're like, I guess cool, I guess it's still fun. I'm not saying that, but it's not as satisfying to me whenever I feel like, well, got lucky on that one. Um, it, and when you start doing this kind of stuff and you start hunting the way, like what you realize, what, what ends up happening is, you know, a lot of it is, uh, you putting yourself in the right position, even the ones that are, you know, the deer doesn't come or the, a dog, like I've had situations where a dog chased a deer in front of me and I shot the deer. It's like, crap, that was all luck. And <laughs> just so happened that that dog was coming through chasing that deer that day. That happened to me on a doe that last year, but I was in the right, I was on the exit trail for where that deer goes whenever it gets pressured it goes that direction because of the things that I put in place, the pieces of the puzzle that I worked out in my head before going and sitting there. So even, even though it was a little bit luck, there was still some skill that was in that. And, uh, and, and, a lot, and all of that is based on your knowledge of an area and spending time there for sure. Absolutely. I mean, I don't think anybody says, and, and and this is like, I'm not putting myself in that category. I'll put you in that category, but I'm not there. But Dan Infault doesn't rely on luck to kill deer. And I think we're all too easy and willing to blame luck as the reason why we didn't kill deer. When if I'm being honest with myself, and I'm simply speaking for just myself here, the years in which I've worked really, really, really exceptional efforts throughout the entire off season, throughout the entire year, um... I've had my best success. Dude, last year, I killed that buck on the last day of the season. It was a high odds hunt. There's where the chance come in, chance comes into play. But I spent the entirety of November and half of December picking that place apart, top to bottom, and I knew that there was only a couple core areas that I needed to be set, to be hanging out in. And that was when things started really connecting. And when I spent four days hunting with Greg, and I spent three, the majority of three of them scouting, and then I killed a doe on the last day. Gladly, gladly killed a doe on the last day. You know, it, 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 there is a correlation that, that's here between the two. And while I'm relatively new at applying this, um, I'm glad you took the time out of the evening to kind of talk about how it's been a constant thing for you. Um, because I've watched it for the last three years. You've lived this creed and you've been in there and amongst it and bouncing around. And it works for you and, and, and Dan Infault and you're you're – Bo Lease was on the podcast and he's like, it's not wasting hunts. It's, it's creating a high opportunity hunt. Yeah. You, the high opportunities and I know exactly when they're going to happen. I know where they're going to take place at. And the, the, those high opportunity hunts though, they come from years worth of just trying an area, just going and checking out an area, just, taking the long route in so or long route out so I could check out a spot that I hadn't been to before or something like that, or taking a chance, you know, on a day where maybe the wind was wrong for the area that was a high odds spot at that time, just took a chance on a spot that I hadn't been to before and then realized, Oh crap, this, this is going to become a high odds area. Um, you know, and, and you, you have to put those down, you know, jot those down, whatever I video everything. So I kind of know where I'm at and, you know, mark up my maps and all that stuff. But, um, you know, there, there is no such thing as a wasted hunt. If you go in with the uh, mindset to learn, 
and the mindset to, to, you know, figure something out, learn something about an area that you didn't know before. And, uh, you know, I, I find for me that the, the best time to do that is in the early season. I think the, when you, when you think about the rut, when I think about bucks that I've killed deer in the rut, so like peak rut for me, it's in December here. Um, a lot of those are chance, like you're, you're chancing that a hot doe is going to come through, right? Like there, you might see does, like I have a lot of rut, quote unquote rut hunts where I see does that aren't hot. And so you're going in there with, with there being a chance that one of those does might come into estrus. And if she's in estrus, then there's a good chance that she's going to have a buck behind her at some point in the day. Um, so there's a lot of chance. I don't think that there is a lot of consistent luck involved in early season and late season hunting there. You see people who get lucky. There are people who get lucky. And I think maybe, um, if you got a guy who's killed one big deer in October or in September, a lot of times that is luck. He was just in the right place at the right time. But the guys who are consistent, Andre DeQuisto is one of those guys. Cody DeQuisto is one of those guys. Um, I don't even know that I would necessarily put Dan Infault in that category as far as early season success. Um, a, lot, a lot of Dan Infault's stuff is based on, uh, you know, rut. I, I think he, when it comes to like the hunting beast and hunting buck beds and all that stuff, um, a lot of that is definitely applicable for early season hunting, that's when you want to try to go off and do that. And maybe in Dan's earlier days, I, I guess, I, and I'm not trying to not get involved. <laughs> I was going to say, when I have him on, I'm going to have to tell him Parker doesn't think you can kill deer early season. <laughs> no, I definitely think Dan and Paul can kill deer. That's that's the whole premise of the hunting beast, right? right. Is going and killing a buck in his bed, um, regardless of what time the season is. I guess in the time that I've been following along with Dan, I haven't seen him shoot a lot of deer in the early season consistently. Um, but I do see like the Quistos do that. I do see, uh, Andy May does that. Uh, I, I see Joe Rentmeester do it a lot. Um, he's super consistent in the early season and he's basically just a protege of, of Dan. And so th- there are people like that who are consistent, who, uh, but the, the thing that they seems like they're all doing very well is being mobile and making calls to jump ship on an area. One of the things the DeQuistos do a lot of is the bump and dump. It gets gives eyes. You put eyes on a buck, bump him out of his bed, and come back the next day and try to kill him in there. I think that's a really good early season tactic. But you can't just hunt the same spot over and over again and do that. You have to have multiple spots and multiple areas, multiple buck bedding areas and core areas that you can go in and do that in because you're pretty much like one and done on that thing. Um if you keep bumping him out of that bed, he's eventually just going to stop coming in there. So you got to make a, make the move count whenever you get the opportunity. Um, but I think, you know, learning about core areas, learning about uh, early season buck sign and community scrapes and um, buck bedding, things like that is, is huge when it comes to early season success and, uh, and, and doing it that way. You know, I think in the rut, a lot of your, a lot of what you're doing is based on where the does are at. And if you find where the does are at, there's a good chance you're going to find where bucks at. Um, 
I don't know if that kind of answers what you're talking about. I think, I think it's right on the money. I think, you know, what I'm most excited for is you're going to be coming to, for the Patreon hunt, uh, in January, most likely. Right. Yep. 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 That's the plan. And so I'm excited to, um, be able to pick your brain in person. You know, I, I think one of the cool things about this is going to be uh, we're going to have a lot of people there with a diverse amount of skill sets. You know, you, Chase, Brett, uh, Mashburn, you, you guys kill big deer all the time. I'm sure there'll be other people there who kill big deer all the time. And I think the, to, to be able to have everybody together for that Friday night and to, to talk about these things and to, and to pick each other's brains and hear the different ways that everybody approaches things. And then on top of that, to see you guys put it into, into action, like I'm going to be bouncing around just trying to soak up knowledge from all you guys, documenting it however we can. And I, dude, I'm really excited to see all that play out because it's going to be a really good time. I'm excited about it too, man. That's one of the, it's one of the hunts that I'm probably the most excited about. Um, just because to me, there's something to me of, like, I'm, I'm going to go and hunt Ohio this year. I'll hunt Kentucky this year. I already hunted North Dakota. Like there's some, I always tend to work harder in the areas like Florida or even Alabama when I hunt these type areas, I work harder. And so it seems like even though my expectation is lower, you have a, a lot bigger chance for me just because the amount of effort I put forth in those type of hunts. Um, it seems like the chance of it being a fun, a really successful fun hunt could be a little bit higher even just because I know I'm going to work my butt off to make it happen um, even harder than I would in a state like Ohio or Kentucky or something like that. Yeah, dude, absolutely. Hopefully, hopefully I'm running the camera for you, uh, uh, this January and we can get like some monster, you know, scrub buck on camera. (laughs) (laughs) A a giant scrub buck. A giant forky. (laughs) Dude, listen, I'm against it. And I will, in Florida, I will gladly kill him. (laughs) Oh yeah. 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 Don't, I will gladly kill him on the first day. That's on my bucket list of things to do is kill a legal buck in Florida. Not that I have ever killed an illegal buck in Florida. Um, <laughs> is that also just, on your bucket list? Is that like the last the last day of Southern Ground? You're just gonna smash an illegal an illegal buck yeah, in Florida? Pretty much. Yeah, if it's a, got three inch spikes, it's gonna die. Um, no, that's that's bucket list for me. That's uh, that's a big deal on my on my list of things to do is kill a buck in Florida. So, um, legal one comes out, he will be dying. <laughs> That's awesome, man. Well, uh, why don't you tell everybody where they can go and find your, uh, your new video and, uh, tell them, tell them about your little side hustle you got going too. It's not really much of a side hustle anymore. It's a real thing. Yeah. It's not a side hustle. It's (laughs) it's definitely everything right now. Um, so I'm just now getting finished with this North Dakota video. I just finished it and actually was exporting while we were talking on the phone and that is going to be up on the tethered channel on Saturday, I believe. But uh, if you want to throw some support at the Southern Ground YouTube channel, I'll probably put it up on Monday on Southern Ground. Um, so if you want to watch it twice, you can watch it twice or just watch it once on whichever channel you want. Uh, but you can check out, out all the other videos on Southern Ground on YouTube, Southern Ground Hunting, and then uh, Facebook, Instagram, it's at Southern Ground. All lowercase, all one word, at Southern Ground Hunting. And then... Uh, of course, I have a podcast. It's the Southern Ground Hunting Podcast. It's uh, on the Sportsman's Nation channel. And uh, to throw a little bit of, um, I, I guess, love towards what I do for a living now, I do full-time 
uh, graphic design and website design through White Hawk Creative Co. It's White Hawk, like the bird, um, creative company. And uh, we do website design, graphic design, video work. I'm actually flying up to Minnesota this weekend to, uh, to film a wedding up there for one of the tethered guys. And uh, so anytime anybody listening to this needs any of those services, I'll be happy to help in any way that I can. Yeah, and if you're looking for a body of work, go chase, check out ChasingTailsOutdoors.com. Uh, uh, that entire website was created by Parker, and I, let me tell you right now, I am not a very easy customer, but he handled it with grace the entire time, even though uh, sometimes I couldn't communicate what I wanted. Uh, you know, He would go around robbing with me like six times and be like, yeah, yeah, yeah no, I already said that. It's okay, cool. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, dude, I'm, we, got I'm, it done, we did, and it's, it's, it's my favorite website ever built. So, <laughs> but, uh, dude, I appreciate you taking time out your day. And, uh, as it is right now, it's September, the bulk of your season kicks off here shortly. And I can't wait to see everything you kill, dude. Appreciate you. All right, man. I appreciate it. Appreciate you too, man. Have a good one. When you go out there and the fish are where you think they are, any one of these casts could be the bite. It's the most exciting fishing that I know right here at Hawks Cave. Oh, that's awesome. Experience the best saltwater fishing the world has to offer. Don't miss Thursdays with Saltwater Experience. Brought to you by Golden Boat Lifts. Every Thursday night from 7 to 10 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV. The destination for outdoor entertainment. Don't miss Mondays with Into the Blue. Brought to you by Academy Sports and Outdoors. Every Monday night from 7 to 10 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV. The destination for outdoor entertainment.